It's like a moment from a horror movie. You have been hanging out in the wrong clubs, Mr. Wayne. I've seen this movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Join the club. We've got jackets. And you stole it from a movie. We want you in our club, kid. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. I'm John Burke, and with me, as always, is Corey Starr. Hello, hello. And this week we are on our second episode of Love Antosha Month, um, where we are looking at films of Anton Yelchin that we had not seen prior to this month. Um, our first episode was Porto, and this episode is going to feature uh, Hearts in Atlantis from 2001. Um, very young baby Anton in this movie. I think the youngest that I've seen him in a film. How about you? I think so. Oh, yeah. Um, but before we get into our reviews of uh, Hearts in Atlantis, we are going to talk about what else we've been watching and just kind of catch up and see how uh, things have been since the last time we recorded. So, Corey, how you doing? Well, how are you? Oh, wow. Uh, good. <laughs> I have a busy week this week, actually. Um, yeah, uh, I'm going to see Courtney Barnett tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And then Wednesday, I'm going to see Dweezil Zappa. Okay. Who I'm not very familiar with. You probably have heard of Frank Zappa. Well, Dweezil Zappa is one of his children. Okay. Um, and he plays his dad's music. Um. So I'm not very familiar with either any Zappas, but um, a friend that I met through Vinyl Preservation Society that is now defunct, um, he I invited him to some shows when Bill wasn't able to make it, so he invited me to this one. He freaking loves Dweezil Zappa. Uh, so yeah, that's just gearing up for that. I was pretty sure you were just making up names. Um, <laughs> no, but all of Zappa's children, I don't even know how many there are, but they all have strange names. It's a true fact. Well, I um, I don't have a busy week this week. I, I do have uh, one of my friend's birthdays this Thursday, and we're playing uh, Nerd Poker or Magic the Magic? Gathering. Yeah, um, and having dinner on uh, Thursday and... Uh, I don't have much else. Um, you know, there's some movies coming out this weekend. I, I forget what, uh, but there's some February releases that I'm excited about. Um, it's not Birds of Prey yet. That's next week, uh, which I'm not like I'm excited about, but also not excited about Birds of Prey. So we'll just have to wait and see. Um, I did just watch the Fast Nine trailer. It's like oh, three minutes long, and uh, John Cena. <clears throat> So they brought in another wrestler. It looks like The Rock is not in this one, unless he's going to have a really small part. Um, but, yeah, I you know, it, it's, it looks crazier. And, man, I don't know. Charlize Theron is back in her character from uh, F- Fast 8, which I was a little surprised to see. Um, and I, I guess it would be a spoiler if you're a fan who doesn't like to watch trailers. But... Or if you've How do seen you... the other movies, but there's a, there's a character who died. It's one of the biggest like controversies what? in the film. Like died like I think in number six at the end of six, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe it was. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it dies at the end of six, and um, it looks like that character's back. I don't know how, and it's definitely not like we're going back in time. It is this movie is clearly a couple of years after number eight like 
I don't know, it's got to be at least four or five years after number eight, um, takes place in the timeline, and this character is back now, and he was definitely dead, or at least there was no question that he was dead, so I don't know what the heck we got going on in this movie, but um, it still looks like it'll be dumb fun if you like the other Fast and Furious films, especially the later ones, when it goes super big and, like, you know, cars are flying through <laughs> windows and crap like that, uh, it's that kind of movie. Uh, Tyrese is screaming a lot in the trailer. Um, he does that. He gets very upset and is loud. <laughs> he gets very upset. Yeah, that's that's kind of his character. It's the same. It's uh, what they did to John Boyega in Rise of Skywalker, where they just make him yell Ray a whole bunch. Or Poe. He's just like, Ray! Poe! Like, every five scenes, that's all he gets to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but I'm kind of pumped for that, I guess. But that's not this week. Uh, apparently, that's this year, and... There's a lot of movies coming out this year that I'm kind of excited about. Um, Tenet being the biggest. Well, Ghostbusters Afterlife being the biggest. Uh, that trailer just gets me pumped. I haven't seen it. Were they playing it before Little Women? Because I remember seeing it many times and now... Yeah, I think they were. I haven't seen it. Um, but yeah, there's just something about that trailer that makes well, me super excited. We're both big Paul Rudd fans and then the, yes. the story looks like they've really put some thought into how to make it relevant yet new so i'm excited about it but um that's kind of it the week's been it's been kind of cold here um yes not, like off and on like it'll be cold one day and then like kind of normal the next so it's super windy here which makes it super chilly mm. yeah the wind is when it gets cold here too like it just cuts through all of our clothes like our jackets <laughs> and stuff aren't designed for non-wind or are, are designed for non-wind cold. I mean, we have, like, quote-unquote windbreakers, but, like, then your jeans are just not doing it, so. But, again, it's, it hasn't, like, this morning I think it was 42, but then it was, like, 60 by the middle of the day, and it was just nice outside. So, yeah, I like it. I hope it stays kind of cool for a little bit. But, um, nice. I don't know about you, but I've been watching quite a bit of movies the last since we last recorded, so. You want to get... Ooh, I am sorry. I'm also. I very need tired. you to stop doing that. Yes, agreed. Sorry, <laughs> listeners, if you're yawning now. Um, it, it's sleepy times. Uh, but uh, you want to go first? I'm just old. Yeah, I'll go first. Um, so I haven't been watching a lot of movies. Continuing my trend with television, but I finished The Office. I know that you know. Maybe our listeners have been paying attention, but this is pretty much. Like, I got into, at least through the end of season eight, I believe, before, but I just couldn't finish it. So I finally, I started from the beginning and rewatched all of it, and now I finished, and I cried, and I'm so sad it's over. And I know it's been over for a while, but I didn't have to, I didn't have to deal with it emotionally. <laughs> and then I watched all five episodes of the HBO miniseries Chernobyl. Oh, I've heard that's great. I really want to watch that. Oh, God, it's so good. And I have, like, a... I'm not glad it happened, obviously, but I have a fascination with it. Like, I love, like, all the photos that you can see online where people have snuck in and stuff, and you can just see nature reclaiming this, you know, I don't know. Um, some of it's hard to deal with. So, for sure. I mean, obviously, but then there are some things that I didn't think about. So that was interesting. And I can't remember his name, but dang it. 
he was also a madman and he was great but he wasn't in it for very long i know that you'll know who it is when you see him it, i definitely recommend it for pretty much everybody and then i rewatched a favorite one of my favorite slashers ever <laughs> it's from 1981 my bloody valentine ain't nobody got time for the remakes that 3d nonsense junk nobody cares about that i'm talking about the original i love it so much and um, a little I early also... though right you still got like two weeks for valentine's day oh it's on shutter so i was ah. like okay i was in the mood for a horror movie they have some really good things on shutter right now um they just got body bags they got nightmare cinema didn't we buy that one yeah we bought both i love i love body bags that's but... john carpenter right yeah, and he has a and he acts in it too, and he's freaking hilarious. But they have a lot of really good stuff on uh, Shutter right now. Sometimes I feel like it's a little, you know. But and that's all I've been watching. Well, um, I don't <clears throat> think I've watched any TV. Although I did get, I want to give a YouTube channel a shout out. I, I've been talking about like I've been watching a lot of Magic YouTube, mm-hmm. like Magic the Gathering, not like Magic Tricks, um, but. My my friend who I'm going to dinner with on Thursday got me into the show Hot Ones on YouTube. Mm. It's uh, an interview show where the guy makes the interviewees eat really really spicy hot wings while they do the interview. And, oh. Um. It's just, they do a, a lot of celebrities. I mean, like especially now because it's like nine seasons in. Like Corey, you have to watch the Nick Offerman one because it's so great. Um. Because I love him. Yes, and that's Kristen Bell is really great, and there's a Paul Rudd one which is my favorite because uh. Paul Rudd is partially vegan. Like, he does vegan more often than not. So they do uh, spicy cauliflower instead oh. of wings. And But so one of the hot sauces is called the bomb. It's like it's usually either eight or nine on the, the ten sauces because there's ten sauces and they progressively get hotter, right? And, okay. Um, the, the bomb is, like, one of the most torturous. But Paul Rudd and Kristen Bell, like, handle it. Like, they, they're not even eating hot stuff. Like, it's crazy how good they handle the hot stuff. But... Uh, but then, I, like, I've been binging that. Like, I'll, it's really easy to throw on in the background. And the interviews are generally pretty interesting. And the, the crew that does the show does a really good job of, like, finding topics to discuss that are, like, deep in the lore or the, the mythos of the celebrity that they're interviewing. So it's not always just, like, you know, generic questions Surface. that you see in most interviews. And then because the the people getting interviewed, depending on how well they handle the hot wings – depend on how much they commit to the the questions like at some point Shaq's just cussing out the guy like when Shaq was on he's just like he's a liar this is so hot like just just like completely deviates from it and then other times like Paul Rudd and, and uh Chris and Bell are able to like fight through it and then some kind of break and then we'll fall back into the interview but then they'll break again because of the, the spiciness um man and I've watched several last week because uh of my friend and i've i've gotten into spicier food over the last year with uh the weight loss because um i really like sauces and most sauces are full of sugar so to supplement the not being able to eat like a lot of ketchup or barbecue sauce i started using hot sauce more and so i've kind of i wouldn't say i built an immunity by any means i still like get overwhelmed by some spice but i like it a lot more now um and so i'm i'm uh my friend who got me into the show has collected um 10 sauces that have been on the show they change sauces every season uh to well not every single sauce but they change like number one might be a different flavor than last season or whatever that's fun and so he's got the 10 sauce he has a collection of 10 sauces that have been on the show um up to the spiciest well the quote-unquote spiciest one 
and so I'm hoping at some point to uh, put myself to the challenge and probably cry uh, after like number six or seven. I feel like he should ask you questions while you're eating and record it. Ah, well, it could be done, you know, uh, at least in podcast form. Maybe if you can't see my face, you could maybe hear like, me cry. Yeah, I'm a wimp. To yeah. test myself, there's a, a Mexican, it's like Tex-Mex, like, chain at this point. It's called Tijuana Flats down here. Oh, yeah. I don't know how far north they go or whatnot, but um, they, they're known for their hot sauces. I'm pretty sure the bomb, the, the one sauce that I mentioned, is a sauce that they sell. Like it's one of their sauces. Um, they don't oh, have cool. that one on the uh, in their hot sauce bar, but I did uh, for the first time ever. I got their spiciest uh, hot sauce, and I uh, like that's on the bar, not the spice. Because again, if they sell the bomb, that's spicier. But they don't have that on the hot sauce bar. But I got the hottest one on the bar, and I, it was good. It was hot. I'm not gonna act like I didn't. And I also put sour cream and stuff on the 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 flauta that I was eating. But um, yeah, it was. It was very good. Um, that said, I have watched a lot of movies, so I'm going to power through uh, this list. I won't dwell on many. Um, I watched Steven Soderbergh's new film, The Laundromat. It was from last year, actually, but I hadn't got to it. It was on Netflix. Um, it's very interesting. If you like movies like Big Short or Vice, where uh, you're basically learning about like a, a system through like fourth wall breaking and weird humor, it's in that vein. Um, and it uh, it's got hell. Um, Oops, not Helen Mirren. Um, Meryl Streep. Uh, uh, oh my God, Gary Oldman and Antonio Banderas are like the big leads. Um, it's it's compelling. I'm not saying it's a masterpiece or anything, but it's definitely interesting. I finally caught Leica's uh, new animated film, Missing Link, from last year that I oh missed I need to see that. Um, it's it's good. It's not nearly as good as Kubo and the Two Strings, in my opinion. That story really resonated with me when I saw it. Uh, but I did find Missing Link to be very enjoyable and overall. Um, another quality work from Leica. I do need to finally watch The Box Trolls. That's the only film of theirs I've not oh. seen. Um, and I have it. I've had it for a couple of years now. I just haven't made the effort. And Nick Frost and Simon Pegg are two of the voices in it, so I don't know why I've put it off for so long, but I really need to get to it. Um, I'm a fan of Morgan Spurlock's documentaries. I don't necessarily agree with him, but I just I find his documentaries to be always engaging and kind of fun to watch, like Super Size Me or... Uh, <laughs> feel like he has a really good way of like engaging the audience too mm -hmm. uh and making it interesting and i feel like he approaches subjects that maybe you know well, are very common sorry this apparently is becoming a more frequent trend with the uh heavy sequelization of film um where documentaries are getting sequels so this is super size me 2 uh mm -hmm. holy chicken um where he uh basically takes the idea from Super Size Me and his other documentary that I'm a big fan of, uh, The Greatest Movie Ever Sold, and combines it to um, he's questioning how impactful Super Size Me was on the fast food industry. And you see like every every fast food's like got healthier options and things like that. And he sets out to kind of prove how that's still BS. But rather than eating it for 30 days and potentially killing himself, he decides to open his own uh, restaurant. And he um, this is where it's similar to The Greatest Movie Ever Sold. Uh, in Greatest Movie Sold, he goes through product placement to pay for the film that he's making about product placement, and so it's completely transparent. We see every like all the backdoor meetings, the ones that will let him film and things like that, and uh, kind of shows the whole process of how product placement is used and how advertisement can affect things and blah blah blah. And so he does that here, where he like shows how we can manipulate the food system based on like what we are like what you can call organic and what you can call um, you know. Uh, 
where they're able free range and things like that, like the loopholes in the terminology. Cage free. Cage free and stuff like that. Um, it's it's really interesting. It's it's if you like him, uh, at the very least, you'll find it compelling. And um, I I enjoyed the documentary. Uh, it's not the most educational or anything, but it's definitely watchable. Um, I went and saw Gretel and Hansel on see Thursday night. Uh, it's more in line with like The Witch um, and movies like that than it is with like schlocky horror. And so it was actually kind of good. And the more I think on it, the more I kind of want to watch it a second time. Uh, it's not super scary. So if you're going in like expecting like a bunch of jump scares, it's very atmospheric and trippy and more of like um, psychedelic horror than I would say anything else. But uh, it definitely has something to say, which is always more compelling to me in a horror film than when a horror film's just about the stupid scares. So um, of the three horror films that came out this month, uh, The Turning, The Grudge, oh, and God. Gretel and Hansel. Gretel and Hansel is clearly the standout um, quality film, but... Um, then I went and saw the rhythm section, the uh, new Blake Lively film. Uh, I think oh. is her name. Um, Blake seems wrong. I am right though. Uh, it was nowhere near as good as I was hoping it was going to be, but the trailer had me really hyped up, and I think part of it to blame is the song because I really like the the cover of the uh, In the Pines. Um, and uh, it's not bad, and I actually really thought Blake Lively's performance was like impressive because it is such a different role for her than i've seen in the past um and i i enjoyed her element but a lot of it feels disconnected and and not developed all the way so um i watched same day i watched hearts in atlantis that night uh then yesterday i went and saw the gentleman the new guy Ritchie film um and it's problematic but very very watchable and enjoyable uh definitely teeters on some racist type jokes and relies heavily on stere uh, Asian stereotypes for some of the humor um, and so that that feels wrong in a lot of ways but it's still you got such a good cast it's impossible for it not to be entertaining so uh, depending on what makes you laugh and what makes you um, appreciate if you like Guy Ritchie movies I think you'll like this one especially if you like Snatch or Lock, Stock and Two Looking Lock Oh boy, I'm messing that title up. Talking to Smoking Barrel. Yeah, I still haven't seen that. Um, that's been on my gap list for a long time. But I like Snatch a whole lot. So, yeah, but it's it's good. It's again, it's got problems, but if you if they don't bother you, you'll most likely enjoy it if you like those other films. So. I forgot to write it down. I finally finished Parasite. Oh, yes, and yeah, yeah. I liked it. I. I'm not on board with the best greatest movie ever made. Oh, I, I don't think it's the greatest movie ever made. I think it's one of the best of the year for sure though, but um, I definitely uh, appreciate a lot of what that movie's doing and enjoyed the watch very, very much. Mm-hmm. It was good. Well, listeners, I think that leads us to our feature film of the week. Um, following and again our theme of love atlantis uh love antosha sorry i almost said love atlantis uh that's a whole different thing <laughs> um underwater movies but uh so if you've never listened to berkeley's uh movie club before the premise is that Corey and i want to make sure we're watching at least one new movie every week although this week i watched several but um in order to uh, narrow down our gap list and to make it fun, we pick a theme each month. And uh, when we watched Love Antosha, the documentary about Anton Yelchin last year in December, uh, we decided to make February Love Antosha month. 
um, because February is Valentine's Day, so why not talk about our love of this actor uh, who is no longer with us, and it's a shame, and I'm reminded of how much of a shame every time I see a movie where he gets to really shine. Um, I learned about this movie. Uh, I'd seen the box a dozen times, um, but I really didn't know much about it until we watched the doc, and it made me... Uh, I ordered it pretty much while I was watching the documentary on, from Amazon. Um, it stars Anthony Hopkins, Anton Yelchin, a very, very young Anton Yelchin, Hope Davis, uh, Mika Burim, I think is how you say her name. David Morse is in it. I don't know if starring is accurate. Same thing, Alan Tudyk. I was so surprised at how small a role he had because um, I, I like Alan Tudyk a lot. Uh, not that he was bad. It was just like such a tiny role. Um, and uh, it's directed by Scott Hicks. Um, what I didn't know uh, until we, I was watching it is that it was based on a Stephen King book. Um, and more importantly, that that book is part of the Dark Towers franchise. What? Yeah, it's it's tied what? in. It's like a spinoff of the Dark Tower franchise. Um, and I was like, okay, uh, interesting to, to learn that. Um, in fact, uh, Anthony Hopkins' character apparently appears in one of the later Dark Tower books. Um, Ted Brodigan um, shows up apparently. I was like, according to, uh, I read like two or three different articles just trying to like, wrap my head around how because i only know i've not read the dark tower series i've only seen the dark tower movie which was not good but that was my entry into that universe and um i i have noticed uh i've seen a lot of stephen king adaptations in the last couple of years since it chapter one basically and i am noticing some weird patterns in king's um books that make it feel like a connected universe more than i, I think it should um which i'll get into in spoilers but Okay. Um, if you've never listened to the show, as I uh, was going on a minute ago, we start with just our general feelings about the movie we saw, um, and then we'll get into spoilers, but we'll give you plenty of warnings so that you can stop if you've not watched the film just yet. Um, Corey, you want to start us off? How did you feel about uh, Hearts in Atlantis, which was my pick for this month? Second pick. Or for, ah, first pick of mine for this month. Wow. I am sleepy. You're, are you muted, Corey? Yeah, sorry, guys. Hi. <laughs> um, so I did forget that it was based off a Stephen King book. That's interesting. Um, you know, I liked it. I didn't think it was the best movie ever. I have a feeling that I might like it a little more after we talk. Um, I like the performances in it. Mm-hmm. I could really just listen to Anthony Hopkins talk all day, really. Um. And I did like seeing... I used to really love Anthony Hopkins, and then I like stopped watching all of his movies because they seemed to... Not really... I wasn't hearing good things, I guess. Yeah. You know? Um, I felt like maybe he's picking up jobs to act. I don't... You know, acting to be acting. But um, I liked... I liked all the performances in it, for the most part. Um, I didn't... I felt like the story wasn't very fleshed out, though. I don't feel like... I understand that it was from the point of view from a child, so I'm trying to, like, be a little forgiving of that. But I just feel like it could have been a little more in-depth, I guess. Yeah, no, I don't think you're wrong at all. Um, I think uh, it is... It should be noted, my understanding is uh, it's not... It's a novella with three distinct stories in it. It's almost like um, three short stories. Okay. And they're all tied to the same city and, like, 
characters in the books like age. I think like the book that's actually titled Hearts in Atlantis is a middle story focusing on Carol Gerber um, more so. And she's like older at the time. So like the part that's only alluded to in the film, um, because the whole movie's wrapped around adult Bobby uh, played by David Morse, um, who gets a baseball glove um, in. uh, Well, he finds out a friend like a childhood friend has passed away. So he goes to the funeral, and at the funeral, he's given um, what he's left in the will, which is his baseball glove, which there is an emotional payoff for that baseball glove later. Um, I was kind of shocked by it. And then um, he goes looking at his old house, his childhood home, and then it goes into a flashback for the rest of the film. And um, my the there's a book, um, something Loman, I think it's Yellow Loman, or Loman, or something whatever they call like the bad guys in this movie uh ted refers to them as low men i think um it sounds wrong when i'm saying it out loud right now but that's what i'm remembering no that's it right okay it just it doesn't like maybe i think it's just not the best name like low men what what yeah um but uh yeah so that's my understanding from what i've read i've i've not read any of the books of course um and i just realized i took like zero notes on this movie too man um but uh so when when we're remembering Bobby's you know at his house his mom is his 11th birthday and he wants a bike and he gets instead a a birthday card with a library card in it not even a library card like the library like the thing that goes in the back of the book so the alarm wouldn't go off or like the checkout slip maybe it was an actual library card but to me that's what that was cuz like that's the only thing I've ever seen in a book, you know, like mm-hmm. at a library. So, um, he, that's his gift from his mom, uh, played by Hope Davis. And, uh, it, we're told a few times that his dad passed away and he was the scoundrel who left them nothing, um, because he had gambling debt and whatnot. Um, and that she tells Bobby that, which is kind of messed up to talk that kind of crap about his dead father. But, um, you know, she's working at a real estate agency to try to make them stay afloat and they just don't have the money to buy a bike which uh she is you know her, the mom's parenting is called in question several times in this movie um and i think it's pretty easy to see that she's not the best mom um maybe regretful of her life choices or something she's not like inherently she, a bad mom either she's just or like super uh abusive or anything like that she's just kind of (laughs) detached well it is pointed out that she seems to be buying like new dresses a lot yeah but she can't buy a bike or even like a present like she got him a library card like you know and i kind of want to know like what the adult library card means is i mean did they used to have it i've been allowed to read and watch whatever i want my whole life so there, there's a kid section in the library though like you didn't have that like yeah but were you only allowed to check out i think so adult books with an adult library card i'm pretty sure but i uh, more than likely your parents just checked the, the book out you wanted you know what i mean like yeah nothing's stopping that from happening so but i think it's he can go into the library by himself and get whatever book he wants basically so you know cool moment in a young man's life i guess like you know when you get to go to an r-rated movie for the first time without parents um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so that's kind of the opening. And then, um, uh, Ted moves in next door, like in the apartment next door. Cause I, at first I thought they were renting him the room, but then the way the house is structured, I don't know if that was the case. 
Um, so I think it's just like they live in like an apartment house situation and Ted's living in the upstairs apartment um, and instantly takes to Bobby and um, Ted is a different guy. He's, he's, I don't know when it becomes a spoiler, but I don't think this is one because I think it's, it's kind of essential to the plot, but he's a, apparently on the run from something and he recruits Bobby to be like a lookout and to inform him of um, any strange people showing up inquiring about him and more importantly and more maybe the most odd is that like any like signs for like lost animals that he needs to let him know immediately I don't, I don't fully understand why like I don't know why they would use the lost animal signs as like a communication tool or if animals were actually vanishing because they were coming I didn't quite get that in the movie and I think that's where your complaint kind of comes in there's a lot of little like little things like that they never feel fully developed. And I feel like it could have been a far more interesting story if they had. Potentially. And that this movie is a little short. Um, it's not super short, but it's an hour and 40 minutes. And um, it does feel like there was room to expand on some things. But I do think the focal point is the performances. I think uh, you just see young Anton, who there are a few moments where the line reads feel like line reads, but man he's able to bring a lot to this character at such an early age um and and i do i love anthony hopkins in this i i i had heard that after silence he started doing like bigger and bigger crazier roles um like i think he tried to go more dramatic but then he like fell into this like screw it i'm just gonna do like crazy things that i want to do and like i mean that's why he's in the fifth transformers film i think and then um which is supposed to be like the most unwatchable of the transformer films but he's done a lot of weird stuff outside of even Hannibal and Red Dragon. He's like such a bigger version of the amazing character he plays in Silence of the Lambs. Um, so, you know, it's not surprising that he does this movie, but it is it's a very quiet and subtle performance at times. And then it's very zany. Uh, there is a very tough se- sequence in the film, which we won't get into yet, but we'll get into with spoilers that was upsetting for a multiple multiple reasons. Um, but there's some very interesting stuff uh, i think it's well assembled to um I, I don't think it's a, a masterpiece by any means i think this is uh i didn't mention the meta score that was like 55 um out of like 30 reviews and i feel like that's kind of right it's it's not a bad movie it's not a great movie it's got a, it's very watchable um and if you are a stephen king fan i think it it's it's got a lot of his elements that he likes to play with and it's more in the it's definitely more in the drama side of his writing not his um you know horror side but the tie-in to dark tower is really weird um i again i still don't fully understand it because i've not read dark tower enough but like it just seems like such a, a weird offshoot to be connected to it but um i think it's time for spoilers Okay, guys, from here on out, we are going to talk about Hearts in Atlantis. In great detail, you have been warned. So, let's get to the, the, the nightmare sequence. Um, Hope Davis's character's name is Liz. Uh, it's Bobby's mom. When we we get an, an implication that she might be interested in the boss, or like that, you know, she's maybe just using her looks to maybe get opportunities with the boss, you know, like to, to move up, which... The, the the time period is a little indistinct, I think, but I would feel like it's 50s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and 
so you know uh there's a scene where she calls bobby on his first birthday dinner and cancels that we can't go to dinner tonight i have to work and the the boss is like glaring in the background and it feels really uncomfortable like i was really bothered by that sequence i'm like why is he like watching her like that and he's not doing anything he's just like creepily watching and then uh when they go she she gets to go with him out of town on like a real estate thing and he says some really messed up stuff to bobby about like uh can't women you can't live without with them or, or without him that whole you know and something about kill him yeah you can't shoot him or it, it's a really uncomfortable thing to say to the boy's mother at that and it, it, he has a like the way he puts his hand on her back it's much too affectionate but at the same time she i can't quite read what she's thinking about him throughout the film can i tell you i just didn't feel like she was the best actress yeah you know who would have been really good in the role naomi watts yeah i kept thinking i'm like man if this was naomi watts this would be like or it'd be great yeah i would have no question what is going on right now because at first when she calls him on his birthday and cancels i'm like she's having an affair with her boss I totally thought that too, right? Especially because the boss was like lingering in the background. But at the same time, the way the boss was lingering in the background, I'm like, and then the way that she kind of turned back, I didn't really know what she was trying to portray sometimes. Um, But yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I don't think I've only seen Hope Davis in a couple of other movies. She's in Synecdoche, New York, but I can't remember which character she was in that. Like, if she's his wife or if she's one of the random, like, women in the movie. And apparently she plays Tony Stark's mom in Civil War, but that's a very small part. Um, and it's listed in her, like, top four. So it's, you know, because that movie's massive. And then I, I own American Splendor, which is a Paul Giamatti film, but I have not yeah. watched it. Um, so I don't, I'm not super familiar with her as an actress. But she does feel like there are better versions of her performance out there um like honestly even like i always tony collette's just a favorite of mine but she plays a really good mother in the way way back and i could see that like her being in this movie because she's in kind of a similar situation in that film um but yeah i feel like there's a lot of misleading elements to the relationship with the boss that when the rape happens which is what i was building up to it's it's not like I don't blame her for the rape or anything like that. It's just it felt so crazy. And then it, it's it's cut between the bully who apparently is um, closeted. Uh, I think his name is – the actor's name is Timothy Reifsnyder. The character's name is Harry Doolin. We're, we're told that he, like, cross-dresses when no one's around and, like, he wants to be a woman essentially – that uh, Ted tells him, and we overhear it, um, and so he's now taking it out on the young girl, Carol. Um, I thought he killed her, by the way. I did too, especially the way that her arm was kind of hanging there, and mm-hmm. the way that we like are we see her when he when Bobby's walking up. I thought she was dead for sure. The only reason why I knew she wasn't dead was because the older Bobby is told that she died a few years like yeah. ago. So I'm like, well, she has to survive this because she, we were just told in the beginning of the movie, she died a few years ago. And clearly that's not recent, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But I still thought, I was like, maybe he misunderstood or did they change? And like, sometimes, timeline? yeah. They'll like, you know, they'll be like, surprise. Uh, yeah. I was about in to a movie. spoiler another movie, but I won't. Um, 
But yeah, so it's cut between her being attacked and then uh, the mother being attacked, and that seems bothersome enough. And they don't—it's not exploitative or anything. You don't see the rape; um, you just know it's happening. Uh, and then she calls, and Bobby's answers, and it's—you know—he's very upset. And then he finds Carol is hurt, um, and very emotional scene with him helping her and like him, like literally carrying her back to his house. Uh, and this is where I get really upset, though, is that. Um, it it pushes that Ted is a child molester, even though, like, I don't know. I don't. I feel like it's such a jump to conclusion that Liz makes, and and Ted points out like, don't put your trauma on the girl, kind of thing. But it's still like, man, what you saw is like, how can you misconstrue that your son's standing right next to her, like? Granted, people do some sick stuff, and I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I don't know. It just felt like... Her son's oh, there. Yeah. Carol's saying that nothing happened, that he fixed her arm. Which, kids would lie if they're yeah. afraid and stuff. I get, again, I think you can you can try to make arguments, but I, I think it's just the whole performance of Hope Davis and the situation in that moment that felt so, like crammed in like she had it out for ted the whole time almost and i don't feel well, like she, she did well i she she's weird about him the whole time though True. like as and, soon as he moves in and i don't want you up in his apartment and i get I that totally get that yeah i, I get that too that. but she doesn't even follow through with it that lasts for like a day yeah he um, like there's one scene of him reading on the porch and then he's like back in then, the apartment yeah like she and I guess that that might come through with her flakiness, like yeah, you know, I don't know. But she, I felt like she did have it out to get him the whole time. She was a jerk to him, and well, that, see, like, I I felt more like that. Like she was not just she was distrusting of him, but not at the same time to the level. Like again, she's just raped. She doesn't have. She probably doesn't feel like she can do anything about it because it's her boss. So and the time a, period, sorry. And the time period. And, and I mean, let's be real. Until uh, the Me Too movement, women were, you know, the victim was often blamed. Like, well, what were you wearing? Did you, they you know, are. did you have a drink? You know, like, so for sure at this time period, especially. Um, so I'm not saying those elements don't make sense. It just, it did feel like conflict for the sake of conflict rather than it being like natural and organic like it felt like she was making the conflict to have that you know where she calls and reports him and then that kind of devastating moment where he shouts in the car i wouldn't trade any of it you know because he really loved bobby and bobby's heartbroken and um which we haven't talked about uh the other i guess the stephen king trope that the reason i started looking <laughs> yes into this movie about the Stephen King connection was I assume this was a connection to The Shining because he's a psychic apparently which I didn't feel was very clear at the beginning of the movie I don't feel like it's even clear at all I don't feel like they flesh that out very much there are a few very short small parts in the movie where he's like dazed out and talking gibberish we don't you know what I mean and then there are these people following him you know i don't know well and bobby appears to like and take some of the the psychic ability when he touches him um because that's why he's able to beat alan tudyk's uh card playing at the the fair at the carnival um because he hugged him and then he like bobby describes like i could just see the card in his head it's like 
either he already is like again this is why i'm thinking it's the shining right like this feels like the shine um but because we're told in uh the the audiobook for the shining especially and it's in it's in the kubrick film but that a lot of people have it but they just aren't really aware what they have like they don't know that they can control it they just like get glimpses of things and call it dumb luck or deja vu or whatever and um that's what i thought this was and then it's tied into instead the dark tower series which now i'm like well is the dark tower series connected to the shining too like it's all connected and it all takes place in maine yes in one all of it yeah and then um if i'm not mistaken and i might be but I, I have not watched The Green Mile. Oh, I haven't seen it in, like, forever. But doesn't that character have, like, some kind of psychic, like, or empathy-type ability? Like, where he... That's, like, the whole... I've seen, like, the, the electric chair sequence and whatnot. So, isn't that a part of it, though? Like, that there's some kind of, like, psychic ability in that, too? Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I, yeah, um, I haven't seen it in at least 15 years, probably. And then another Stephen King, uh, it may not even be his fault, this may be a filmmaker's fault, but there's a scene of three kids running through a tunnel in, like, silhouette, and it just reminded me of it, like, a lot, like, too much. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, is that, I think that was the first time I'm like, oh, this feels like a Stephen King, oh, it is, okay, um, it definitely feel... has that vibe to it. I was, like, doing a little research about the book, and I get that it's a novella and it's short stories and blah, 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 but I feel like... Stephen King can get wordy, you know? Mm. I, I don't think that he, like, for The Shining, I don't think that there's one wasted word, but I feel like that's so hard to translate to a movie, and there's so much stuff that you can put in writing that people can see that you can't necessarily effectively put into a movie. I don't know. I feel like maybe some of that is where, like, some of the story isn't fleshed out, which... This might have just been. I mean, well, doesn't it say that it's a novella and three stories? Yeah, I don't. And this is mostly the first story, um, with so, a little bit of reference to the others. So that might also, you know what I mean? Not it's... having a lot of material and yeah, then just this is super adaptation. Um, would be my understanding. There, I was trying to find a good article that kind of like discussed the differences of the novella and whatnot, but I don't. I think there's a lot. I think because it's like if you, you can basically read the summary of the novella the this the short story the yellow men the yellow low men or whatever it's called in like two paragraphs like it summarizes the whole short story like it's super uh brief and concise um a few things that happen in the movie are essential like um i think her being attacked with the baseball bat is a big big part of the book um i think the the sexual assault on the mother is a big part of the book because that's where like this kind of comes in um, it's implied that Bobby goes to juvie, though. Um, I, I think not even implied. I think it's explicitly stated that he goes to juvie, like juvenile detention. Um, maybe as a result of defending Carol. But, um, but yeah, it's it's it seems interesting in a way. But uh, you know, I don't, I don't fully get what the message of this story is. Um, I also don't get what the name Hearts in Atlantis means. Like, it... he mentions Atlantis for like a split second. Okay, so I guess that's the speech. I don't, I don't know because that's the name of the middle book, which again, which I know <laughs> I already said, but I'm just repeating that. So, I the middle book, um, doesn't 
have a lot to do with this. Carol's in it, but we don't see that part of Carol's life in the movie whatsoever. So I don't fully grasp why he would pull that name and not go with... I mean, the name of the actual short this is mainly based on isn't very good. Like, it's not a compelling name that would make me want to go watch it. And the Yellow Men aren't really in the movie. Like, they're kind of, like, hinted at more. They're like a looming threat. And then we see that he's in the car with people. But, you know, it doesn't really mean anything. But, um... I'm glad he got a stand bicycle, though. Yeah. Finally. Uh, yeah, the mom seems to be, like, um, embracing being a mom more, like, at the end. Like, that's, like, it's, they, they move away to be, like, closer together and stuff. And, like, that's cool. Um, I, I don't know. I It's not a bad movie at all. It's just not a great movie. It's, you know, again, I think there's some really good performances. I think maybe could have had a better mo- cast for the mom um i really do like anthony hopkins and anton yelchin though the scenes with them together are super enjoyable and i really really like those performances i also liked uh anton and carol i thought that relationship was very very sweet and believable and mm-hmm. i love that line that uh it's the kiss that you'll judge all <laughs> the kisses by it's just so good or- I thought it was so cute when she told him that she wasn't ready. Yeah, right? And he was, like, so embarrassed when she, like, kind of didn't react the way he thought she would react. It was super cute. Yeah, I liked that a lot. That was probably my one of my favorite elements of the film. Just, like, their relationship. Because it was super sweet. Like, every little step. And even when he goes to tell her he loves her at the end, and she's like, I know. I love you, too. And it's just like... And then just back to business. Yep. Because it was like, it was that kind of, it was a little sad because she knew that this was it. You know, like, we, we're not going to have the lifelong story, but I still love you kind of thing. And it's like, man, she's so, like, mature for a little kid, too, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, and man, then after, oh, go ahead. I was, I, the, the kid with the baseball bat, it also, like, when he, there's a scene that we didn't talk about where he, like, is grabbing her boob, which they. Yeah. Yeah, they don't show it, thank goodness. But, like, he's, like, forcefully, like, groping her, and, man, it, that bothers me so much. are not in yet. So like, much. she's 11, and you're, like, 16. And you shouldn't be groping any Touching person. anybody. Yeah, like, yeah, but I, it just, I don't know. Yeah, it just. Which, again, I mean, <sighs> I, I don't know. I haven't looked up any, like, um, anything about the, the, hom- the treatment of the homosexual character, but the. They make him, like, a super bad person, and it's, like, him lashing out because he's, like, closeted. And when you think of, like, that scene, he's doing that probably to, like, look macho. Um, and that's that's super problematic, you know, to, like, have a gay character, or at least an implied, maybe not gay, even maybe transgender. Like, I don't know what the right word is when you want to be the other gender, but you are afraid to go. I don't know if closeted is still the right phrasing. I apologize for not knowing the correct terminology here, but... It's one of those things where it's like you make that character a villain because you're implying that they're insane or crazy um, is not really good now. In 2001, it wasn't good either, but people, that was the norm. Where in 2020, and more like, I would, I'm used to saying 2019 in reference to this, we're supposed to be a little more woke. And so some of that sits really badly now. It doesn't hold up with the time. Um, Also, going back to the Stephen King tropes that character also feels a lot like the the bad person character in it to me as well the way he treats the kids and like he's the big bully character like 
again, I don't, it's an adaptation, so maybe it's the author or the director writer uh, adapting King's book is like pulling from King's other source material to like make it feel like a Stephen King book or Stephen King's writing is very repetitive in a lot of ways. Like, you know, I don't know. I haven't read any Stephen King. I've read like chapter one of it and that's as far as I've gotten. I listened to the audiobook of The Shining. That's all I've done. Sometimes um, I just want to punch him. Not really. Don't come arrest me. But I feel like he like pumps out too much. Yeah. That it's just, it can't all be good. And I can't imagine being a creative person. I'm not a creative person. But I can't imagine like just having all these ideas and needing to get them out. So I don't know. When he, it's good, it's really good. But then I feel like a lot of his stories are, he cops out at the end. I, I'm like, I've really? heard that his endings are often weak, and I have not. Um, again, or just I don't plain have stupid. a lot of source. Yeah, um, I. The ending here makes sense, though. Like that Ted would get caught, and that Bobby would kind of blame himself. But it maybe being the thing that makes Bobby. Like be honest with his mother to a degree, you know, like because he slowly gets, like, starts to open up to her throughout the film, like, to tell her that what you're doing is BS and stop doing it, kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. like when he catches her trying all the dresses on before she goes away, he kind of is like, Hey, what's this about? You know, like thought we didn't have money to, to do this or whatever, you know? Um, and she even says like, not now kind of thing, you know, like, don't, don't throw that in my face, you little jerk. And it's like, no, you're kind of a jerk lady. You maybe shouldn't only think about yourself, but. How many dresses do you need? And again, that's where that can, again, not a woman dressing attractively to make her boss like her does not justify him raping her in no way do i think that's okay however it does i think in terms of what was going on confuse the audience in this film because like you said it seems to imply that she's having an affair and that's actually what i thought we were going to get is that she's got the stepdad now is going to be the like, yeah and that he was going to have to deal with the stepdad it's... maybe the stepdad's abusive or something like that but especially when he like walks down to her front door and yep. carries her bags and yep. has his hand on the small of her back and the way he talks to the kid like i'm your new daddy you know like yeah he's giving him like a pep talk and that's what i thought was we were gonna get and then for like the rape to happen it felt like way out of nowhere again the, the one scene where we see him before where he's like looming in the background he does seem menacing but at the same time she seems like she's really into him and she's all excited about going to this thing and she's getting all dolled up. Not, to, again, not okay that he rapes her, but I feel like in terms of the story, it feels like the movie's wanting us to think she's into him only to find out that no, she wasn't and this guy's evil. And that feels a little bit like out of nowhere to me. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that's kind of parts of the problem with this film is it does feel like maybe there is a few different ideas that don't quite congeal to one. Um, and I, again, I don't know if that's reflective in the book or not, but that's how it feels in the movie. So, um, oh, at the end where he meets Carol's daughter. Oh yes, who is the same actress that plays Carol? What? Yeah, she's in like different makeup apparently, but she's listed as both. Uh, I was so confused because I'm like, she looks really familiar. I can't place who that actress is. And then when I looked, I'm like, oh, it's listed as Carol. She's listed as both. Uh, Carol and then whatever the daughter's name was Dot or something yeah, I, I did was not like, catch that yeah cause I was I was like she looks kind of like um Thor, Thora Birch mm. in that moment to me like 
I think it's that's the dark the, hair. Yeah, it's the dark hair and like the way her like hair is being worn like in her face and stuff. And um, that's who I thought it was, and it, it is not. Uh, yeah, and IMDb doesn't list her as both, but it does on Letterboxd. Um, at least I think it does. And uh, I saw it somewhere. If it's not there, I like Googled it or something. Nope, not Letterboxd. They did a really good job, though. I mean, because I pulled up an image, like making them look different yes. enough. Makeup and the dark hair, I think, really helped. Yeah, because she does look older to me, and, you know, when she's playing Carol's daughter, she, to me, looks 15, 16, yeah, easily. Yeah, yeah. And it's not revealing clothing or anything like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, um, I mean, for the most part, I'm ready to, to give our well, rating if you are, but... You didn't talk about the glove. Oh, the glove. You're right. You gotta yeah. the glove. So... Okay. The, the friend, the, the other friend who also I felt would be more important in the story and kind of isn't. Like, he kind of, like, is in a couple of scenes and he's gone. Since, like, the whole story is framed around his funeral, um, you felt like it would be a more significant relationship there. But it, it almost feels like it's not. It's just, like, the entry into the Carol relationship. Um, so you do kind of got to ask why he didn't just come for Carol's funeral instead of, like, the friend's funeral. You know what I mean? Like, if the friend's not going to be that significant to the his life... Um, but the baseball glove is significant. He gets a new baseball glove and he says, um, you can have my old one. I'll leave it for you in my will. And then he actually leaves it for him in his will. And that's like kind of heartbreaking because when he gets the baseball glove as an adult, you're like, that's weird. And then when you hear that line, you're like, wow, he remembered after all that time and held on to it and held on to it. And the lawyers, like, he didn't know there would be so much arbitration over a baseball glove. And that's man, that was that was shockingly sweet and touching. So, yeah, definitely good call. We definitely needed to bring up the baseball glove. That that was another moment that I really liked in the movie. Yes. All right, um, my rating. I'm gonna go. I'm kind of torn. I'm gonna say decent watch, and I would lean towards not a total waste of time, um, because it is a little messy with the story, as we said. But I do really like the performances, and I think. Uh, the connection that um, Bobby has with Ted and with Carol, I think, are really, really solid and enjoyable. And I think Anton has a lot of, to do with that. I don't know if uh, another child actor could make you like him so much. Um, there's a lot of little quips that he gets, little jokes that are there. And uh, Anthony Hopkins, man, I this is such a good Hopkins performance. Like, I really do love him in this movie. So um, I'm going to go decent watch. I'll, I'll, I'll go in the middle. I... I'm going to go decent watch, leaning towards not a total waste of time. So we're this is a, a rare occasion where we lukewarm together on a movie. A lot of times we're like either really both into it, both against it, and then those times where we're kind of polar opposites. This time we're both like, eh. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's good. If you're an Anton fan, I think it's worth watching, though. I do think it's like seeing young Anton and like that he was talented out of the gate is definitely worth seeing. Yes, 100. So before we leave, a couple of things. One, we want to, again, thank um, AntonYelchinOfficial.com. If you haven't been to the website, it's worth checking out, Just especially if you're a fan. Uh, if you're watching these movies with us, 
Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on these films and these performances. Are we wrong? Did we get something right? Um, that you're just like, oh my god, you, you opened my eyes in a way, blah, blah, blah. Or, oh, you're so stupid. How can you not like Hope Davis? She's amazing. Uh, let us know. You can hit us up on social media. I'm at Burke Reviews. And Corey? At Corey R. Star, two R's on the end. And I post reviews all the time at BurkeReviews.com. I've got a lot of stuff pending. Um, I've been watching a lot of movies, so I've been writing a lot of reviews suddenly. Um, but I do try to keep up with the new stuff that's coming out every week. So if you check the site, uh, reviews are out there. I just posted my review for um, Gretel and Hansel uh, right before recording this. So now it's been about a week when you're hearing it. Um, for, yeah, hit BurkeReviews.com. If, uh, if you can, subscribe to the reviews. You'll get updates automatically. Every once in a while, Corey contributes something written, too. So it's always worth checking out. She's got all these concerts she's going to. Maybe she'll hit up some concert reviews for you. Who knows? No pressure. Um, uh, it is getting into that festival season for me. Um, there's going to be the Gasparilla International Film Festival in Tampa in a couple of uh, months. Maybe a month, I think. And then um, there's a chance that I'll be heading back to New York for Tribeca 2020. Um, I'll know more in the next couple of weeks, but it is a, a possibility. So uh, that's always up on the site. It's a good way to keep up with movies that maybe you haven't heard of yet, but you'll want to check out. Um, in the meantime... What we always say is keep watching movies. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com. <laughs>